I uh, have the pleasure of introducing my dear friend and Dharma sister, Val Miranda. And she's been practicing Zen for 20 years at least um, here. Uh, also doing her householder practice, raising a son who's now a sophomore in college and also uh, directing two different um, arts organizations in our county, the Pajaro Valley Arts Center and the Santa Cruz Art League. And also um, along those lines, has just recently started offering Zen and Art here on once a month on Saturday here at Santa Cruz Zen Center. And she's also uh, co-leading the long-standing Awakening Together book group that reads books about uh, racial justice and um, practicing uh, for all beings. So Val, uh, I know that you have some things to share with us about the new practice that you and some of your colleagues have been doing here in our very own town to help relieve suffering. So I uh, look forward to hearing you share. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Val. Uh, it's great to see uh, familiar faces and new faces as well. Uh, thank you for being here. And uh, thank you for everyone that's on Zoom as well. And thanks to, uh, to Liz and to, Pat and to Patrick for inviting me. I've been practicing here for all these years, and this is my very first Dharma talk. <laughs> so... Um, in the last few months, um, I've had this important experience of co-facilitating uh, restorative justice dialogue around uh, a very sad event uh, uh, that happened in downtown Santa Cruz that many of you, which you may have heard about, which is the vandalism of the Black Lives Matter mural uh, in downtown, really close, you know, really close to here. Uh, today, I want to share a little bit uh, uh about how my practice supported me uh, through this, this very intense uh, process. The Black Lives Mural uh, was a result of, uh, just to give you a little bit of, uh, for those of you that may not be familiar, I wanted to just share a little bit about the, you know, the, the mural. Um, it, was a, it was a result of a collaboration of local artists um, led by uh, Black artists, local Black artists, Abi Mustafa. Uh, when the when the act of vandalism happened, and if you want to learn more, you know there's lots online locally, you know to uh, to learn about the details. But when the the vandalism happened, the uh, Abby and the other artists uh, they told the police that they did not want the two young men to who committed the harm to go to jail. They wanted them to go through uh, a restorative justice process. They wanted them to go through some process to to help them understand, you know, what happened, how it affected folks, and and to also help the folks uh, that were harmed to understand why they did what they did. And I think that this in itself was a really, you know, was something really important, you know, to happen in, you know, in our community. Um, I want to briefly sh start by, you know, sharing uh, one brief description of what restorative justice is. There's um, a lot of ways to define it. I'm just going to offer one, uh, which is uh, that restorative justice is a way of addressing conflict and crime that enables the person who caused the harm 
the people who are affected by the harm in the community to create a meaningful solution. Rather than justice as punishment, restorative justice conceives of justice as repair uh, to the harm caused by the crime in, in conflict. It has roots in indigenous uh, peacemaking of uh, things like, such as circle sentencing and family clan uh, councils. Uh, rather than uh, you know th throwing someone in jail because of the act that they committed, we acknowledge that you know this person is part of a part of a community, and we're going to we're going to figure out how to address the harm together um, as a you know as a community. So. In this particular situation, in regards to the, you know, the the restorative just uh, restorative justice dialogue that was uh, organized by the uh, conflict resolution uh, center of Santa Cruz County, the process involved community dialogues, you know, around the vandalism, where participants were invited to share how it, how it affected them, and what they wanted the two young men to know and to learn. Uh, these community uh, dialogues were followed by numerous conversations with the two young men led by the Conflict Resolution Center and also helped by the organization called Surge. Uh, individuals from Surge had, you know, a number of conversations with the, uh, with the young men as well. Uh, after that, um, uh, we had a dialogue between um, one of the, one of the young men uh, that that um, that committed the harm in uh, the artists and some members of the um, some members of our local black community. Um, I had the honor of co-facilitating both conversations with my uh, colleague Alaya Vautier, who is here tonight. Um, I was drawn to participating in this process because. It matched a, a, a dharma that's very dear to me that I repeat every morning, which are the bodhisattva vows. Uh, in particular, I think the first one, beings are numberless. I vow to liberate them. Um, for many of us, we say this every every day, but it's not necessarily often that we have the you know the, that we have the the opportunity or the blessing to actually. Um, use them in action. <laughs> so that's a little bit of what I'm going to talk about. Uh, ending suffering is one of the most visible results of the restorative justice process. So it really matches, you know, my commitment to alleviating suffering uh, and liberating, you know, uh, beings, you know, in, uh, in, in, in all, in as many of my actions as I possibly can. The folks that I think it's it's important because the folks that cause the harm, they feel whole and they feel supported by their uh, by their community, uh, uh, in uh, with help to find ways to repair the harm that they cause. Uh, this process also matched my uh, Jewish ancestors' principle, tikkun olam, uh, of action intended to repair and improve the world. It's something that Jews are committed to. And this is a moment where that sentence is very complicated in the in the historical moment that we're you know that we're living in. But that's another Dharma talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was a long process, and there's a lot to tell. But today I'm gonna only focus uh, on two moments: the community meeting 
and the dialogue between the artists, uh, the black community members and one of the young men who committed the harm. Um, I've been facilitating group conversations for many, 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 many years, but I was not prepared for the degree of emotional intensity involved uh, in these conversations. Uh, facilitating conversations always imply probably one of the most basic things that we practice as Buddhists, which is being present with what's in front of us. Um, it's it's important to be present as much as possible throughout the throughout the uh, the uh, the conversation, so that you can keep um, the conversation moving, or you can change course uh, if needed. And it's it's imperative that you're present. You know, if you get distracted and start thinking about other things, you know, things can you know uh, really uh, uh, derail if you're not if you're not present. And I think I, you know, with the how emotionally challenging it was at in in you know in many in many cases, um, I think I use every single everything every single thing in the book that I you know that I you know that I could think of in terms of being present and and being focused on you know on holding space you know for the folks that were in front of me. I think what was new to me as I was starting to refer uh, was that in addition to being present, I had to support myself emotionally while holding space for the group to share their sadness, their fears, uh, and, uh, and their hopes. In the, during, the during the community meeting, uh, each expression of fear, uh, we, um, uh, we facilitated a conversation where we asked folks, you know, what does this, you know, this this harmful uh, action that happened, how how did it make you feel? How did you, you know, what does this mean to you? How do you feel as a consequence of this happening? And folks, of course, expressed a number of uh, of you know they didn't feel safe. They felt that you know you know that um, it wasn't just the fact that someone defaced a mural, but it was also a fact that many folks felt that if a mural was defaced, uh, their culture was being disrespected, their, uh, you know, their own safety was in, was in jeopardy because if you're, you know, if you're walking, you know, around Santa Cruz, you could be, as a, as a person of color, you could be harmed, you know, because if someone doesn't show respect for, you know, a cultural expression in the middle of the in the middle of the town, in front of City Hall, uh, you know, between City Hall and the library, two big symbols of, you know, of of uh, democracy and, and expression, and so there was just a lot of uh, a lot of things that people felt uh, that was very difficult for them to, you know, to uh, uh, deal with an act, you know, such as this. Uh, each expression of fear, every time someone said, oh, you know, I feel afraid and so on and so forth, uh, sometimes it triggered my own fear. Uh, when I thought about my Afro-Latino son out and about in the world at risk of being harmed by, by racism and by uh, police brutality. Um, I kept, you know, I really, it was, it was like meditation in action because I, 
I kept, you know, having to breathe and ground myself and keep refocusing on what was in front of me. Um, the I have to say, though, that the moments of inspiration and hope, they far outnumbered the challenging ones. And I felt lifted by the group's commitment to, uh, uh, to healing through this process. And um, at the same time, I, you know, and I think uh, group facilita facilitators do this all the time. You have to sort of keep, keep a mental note, a mental and a heart note in terms of where the group is, what are the things that they are bringing up and, and making connections along the way. And um, I think I was really, I was really amazed, you know, that I was able to do that considering what I was feeling inside. So I want to make clear, I wasn't, um, I wasn't feeling uh, sick by the process or anything like that. It was a very interesting um, equanimity practice in terms of, you know, you feel, you know, you feel the ground moving under your feet and you're like, you know, uh, you know I always picture this image of a boat. I know uh, Kathy has heard me saying <laughs> this uh, many times of equanimity as a, you know, being on a boat that, you know, that shifts and you, sometimes you, you stumble a little forward and then you find your balance again. And so that, you know, being in that meeting felt a lot like that, you know what I mean? Like caring for myself and at the same time, you know, holding space for folks that, you know, that, that felt very deeply, you know, about, you know, about what happened. And, um, and at and the whole time, I also felt very honored to be there, very honored that, you know, that I had been invited into this process, that I had this opportunity to, to contribute to the healing in, you know, in, uh, in my community. Uh, practicing compassion, uh, interconnection and loving kindness, I think were at the heart of the next conversation, which was the dialogue between the artists, uh, black community members, and one of the young men uh, who caused the harm. So there were two young men that caused the harm. This conversation, uh, this uh, dialogue happened with one of them. The next one is coming up in November <laughs> uh, with, the, with the other young man. Uh, um, in this process was felt that was important for, you know, be one one at a time so that, you know, it could really be a conversation instead of trying to cover too much ground all at once. It was important to have it with one. And as I said, the second one is gonna happen, uh, is going to happen in November. Um, Tension, tension was very high <laughs> at the beginning of the meeting, and you could feel, you could feel, um, uh, you could, you, you just could really feel it. You know how, you know the the tension, and not not so much, um, not so much anger, but I think both sides uh, were very apart. You know, uh, it was a small room in the library, so they weren't like physically too far apart, but emotionally they were very far you know uh, uh from one another uh black community uh black community members they were present but they were hesitant um many expressed that they were reluctant about attending the meeting 
because they did not trust that the this uh, white young man or or they didn't trust his proclaimed remorse, you know, about for what he did. Um, it was actually really interesting because even though this was a choice that was made, this is how we're going to, you know, we're going to uh, work on this as a group. We, we're going to work on this together. One uh, one black man who is a friend of mine, he, he, he said, you know, um, sometimes I feel like you're getting away too easy. And sometimes I think that you should, you know, maybe you should just go to prison to get a taste of what other black men, you know, feel. And it was really interesting because here is someone that was, you know, committed to, you know, committed to change, committed to being here, yet, you know, he, and it was incredibly honest of him to say, I'm kind of wanting to do with you what, you know, what people have done with other black men like me, you know? And it was beautiful to see that he felt that way. You could you could feel the anger, and yet he you know trusted the process, which I think it's you know something that you know I I think a lot about my practice, which is you know it it it, it doesn't always feel you know you can't see the end and it's painful in the process, but you have you know I know I've learned to you know to trust you know the, the process you know of of being with what's in front of you, and I think that was a beautiful thing to see that you know many folks, you know, were, were able to do that. Uh, the young man, you know, uh, you know, that committed the harm, um, he was visibly shaking. I have to say that, you know, sitting in the, in the place as a facilitator, I would look at him and I'm like, sometimes I thought, I think he's going to get up and, and, and run away because he was, you know, you could see that, you know, you know, he wasn't just shaking, you know, his, leg was like bouncing like this and I'm like oh he's gonna go uh and but he did it and he was uh, in the beginning he was barely able to respond uh, to questions um I think just as the other just as the uh, just as the black folks that were in the room you know had the hesitant that felt hesitant that you know this other person that I don't know who they are um we don't, you know, I don't really trust that he is, you know, that he's remorseful or that he's willing, you know, to change. I think a lot of folks felt, oh, he's just going through the motion because, you know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really feel remorse for what he did. Uh, the young man, I think he seemed to expect that, you know, folks were going to crucify him, you know, crucify him for what he did. Um, especially, I mean, he had support folks, you know, he had his stepmother, you know, that came with him. He had a, a gentleman from Surge. So he was, again, a part of the restorative, just pro, uh, restorative justice process is to really help people to feel supported, to feel that, you know, that we're in, we're here for, you know, for, for this person to, for everyone to heal, not just the, not, not just the folks that were affected, but for everyone to heal. And, but I'm sure that, you know, from the place where he was, you know, it, he seemed to feel like, uh, no way these, you know, there's three of me and I don't know, 12 of them, you know what I mean? And they're, you know, they're gonna, you know, um, you know, 
so both sides were really looking uh, at each other as others. And I don't think that they felt interconnected at all. And I think that that's one of the, you know, this is one of the crucial things that I think we talk a lot about at the Awakening Together group is that this, this otherness, this lack of record, you can only, racism can only exist if we believe that we're not connected. If, and, and I'm not talking just about, oh, you know, sometimes you, you hear, you know, uh, folks say, oh, but we're all human. You know, that's a classic thing that a lot of folks, when they don't want to deal with racism, they'll say, oh, but I'm not racist because we're all human. And yeah, indeed, we are all human. It's indeed, we were born the same way, but the way that we move through life is very different based on, you know, the color of our skin, the our gender, our gender orientation, our sexual preferences, our class. It, they're very different ways, you know. Uh, and um, I think that, you know, this is one of the things I, I could see, you know, when that meeting started, that people felt incredibly, you know, doubtful about the other side. And they felt, you know, this, you know, I think that for the Black folks, um, you know, they were feeling like, you know, this white man in front of me, I don't know him. And he's probably like all the other white folks that were, you know, that were, um, uh, that have harmed, that have caused harm, harm to me and to others in the past. Um, it was really beautiful to witness how the structure of the meeting with many rounds of questions and answers slowly melted, you know, the, the tension. And, and over time, and it was, I don't know, um, a three, four, three hour meeting, three hours. Yeah. Uh, over time, folks, not only it melted attention, but folks seemed to be able to see each other suffering and take steps to heal one another. And I think that that was the, probably the most intense. And I, I still get goosebumps thinking about it is that, um, it was the ability to witness the other person's suffering that actually led people to feel connected, uh, you know, uh, to one another. And uh, it was, uh, again, it was really uh, compassion uh, in in action, you know, because you you know that 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 meaning of the word compassion with passion, with feeling with the other. I think that that was in incredibly crucial for, you know, for that, you know, for the structure of the meeting. And um, I remember when I, you know, when I was, uh, when I met with Aliyah and she was telling me, okay, this is how the process, I'm like, oh, this is so long, all these questions and and so on. But, you know, I trusted, uh, I trusted Aliyah and, um, and it was just beautiful. It was beautiful to see, you know, that's the part where I felt really honored to see life unfolding in front of me, you know, uh, you know, people slowly, you know, starting to see each other, you know, as, as, as people, not as the white man or, you know, the black man or the black woman. Um, and at the end, um, you know, uh, black folks were invited. This was right before Juneteenth. So, you know, uh, the black folks in the group were inviting the young man to come to Juneteenth, you know, as an opportunity for him to learn more about, you know, black culture and, and, and racism and so on and so forth. 
and inevitably someone had to bring up the fact there will be good food and uh, you know as in in you know, th there is the, 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 you know, the reality of good food, but there's also the, you know, the aspect of breaking bread, you know, and the, the importance of that, you know, in, in, in healing, you know, in folks healing. Um, for almost three years, Patrick and I have been co-facilitating Awakening Together here at the Zendo, and this is the I'll make a quick commercial, which is we meet uh, on the first uh, Tuesday of the month here in the Zendo, and it's also available, you know, via Zoom. And uh, Awakening Together is a study group where we read books that, you know, connect anti-racism in our practice, and we've read some amazing books, and we've had some amazing, you know, amazing conversations. From the very beginning of this study group, uh, during the former president's government, I kept sharing, I, I said this, I think almost every single, almost every single uh, group that um, I kept sharing that I wanted to find Trump's humanity. I wanted to feel compassion. I wanted to see his suffering. I wanted to understand, you know, where he came from. Um, as a as an Afro Latina Jew uh, doing my own work, you know, doing my own work around racism and, and white privilege and et cetera, et cetera, I didn't want to vilify a white person who committed a racist act. And you know, we know we know that you know the president, the former president, said so many you know uh, you know not sad but you know did many acts of, you know, express uh, uh, racism. So I really, you know, I kept saying, I want to find it. I want to find Trump's humanity. I said, well, I got to tell you, I failed monument monumentally in that Buddhist challenge that I gave to myself. You know, I couldn't and I still can't. And there, I said it, I can't. <laughs> um, but in the series of meetings uh, with uh, with this uh, young white man, I was finally able to feel compassion for a white person that committed a racist act. And, I'm, and I'll tell you a little bit why. Uh, before, you know, before that, um, it's very, I can, I can talk about compassion, I can talk about loving kindness, but it's incredibly hard for a person of color or for someone that has been a victim of homophobia, I would imagine, uh, it's it's very hard to look at a person that commits an act like that and and feel uh, compassion for them, you know, because you just there's just so much hurt inside of you by being a victim of a racist act that there's it's 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 it feels almost impossible to you know, to have compassion, to try to understand. I can, I can intellectually justify until the cows come home. I can say, oh, I understand this person is, you know, you know, grew up in a, you know, uh, in this, in this environment with a lot of ignorance or, you know, religious, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I can't, you know, feeling that emotionally is, is incredibly, incredibly hard. And I think that, um, in this, the reason why this changed for me, and it was a big thing, it was a really big thing for me. Um, the reason is because I got to know him. 
you know, through the, through the number of meetings that, you know, that I, you know, that I had the, you know, the opportunity that I was invited by Aliyah to participate when we met with him and we met with the other young men as well. Uh, but in, in particular, the one that, you know, the one that was in this, um, that participated in this, in this dialogue, um, I learned about him. I, I learned about his family. I learned about what he was interested in, you know, what he did in his spare time, what his plans for the future were. And I could see that he felt very sorry for what he had done and, um, and, and that he really had a desire to repair the harm and to learn how not to be racist. Even if I could see that he had a long road ahead of him to become you know, more conscious about the, you know, the amount of racism that the world is, is uh, full of, you know, in the society, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, you know, that in these, in these, in the progression of these meetings, all of a sudden he became a, you know, he became an anti-racist, you know, and I'm not saying that, but I, I could see at least that he started to realize the, the impact of the harm that he, you know, that he caused. And um, in his, you know, his step in, during the meeting, his stepmother was sitting next to him as a support, as I had mentioned earlier. And in her tears, I saw a mother suffering, you know, and that was, that was really important to me because you know, I, I started to think, I'm like, oh my God, what if this was my son, you know, that had committed, you know, a harm, you know, uh, like this, you know, and I could see, you know, I just, I could feel it like it was my own, uh, you know, the, what she was, which, which was what she was expressing. Uh, I'm happy that, you know, I was able to avow the hate that, you know, that I could have felt for this young man, you know, when I, you know, when I say, you know, when I say every morning, you know, that, you know, that I, I want to avow greed, hate, and delusion, um, it really, um, this was a, I think that this was a, uh, this was a part of my practice that helped me to, to walk through this, this uh, process is that I, I was able to avow the hate that I could have felt, you know, for this young man, that I heard from so many folks, you know, that were, you know, so many black folks uh, in the in this community that when they heard about this and they, you know, and they knew that these two uh, young men had done this, you know, I heard a lot of hate, you know, and I, I learned, I, I hear, I heard so much hate from many different folks, not, not within the context of this conversation, but, you know, out in the community, out and about running into folks and talking to them about what happened. There was a lot of hate. And I, I feel, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I was a, um, uh, uh, able to avow that hate. Uh, and I could also see, um, you know, I think part of the hate sometimes comes from, uh, not, not only not knowing him, but I think I could see that, you know, he was, you know, he's a product, a product of the conservative conservatism is that the right word Con conservatism no sometimes english is not my my native language sometimes i'm like that word doesn't sound right 
conservatism. Con yeah, that long word, conservatism, that hides in the fold of Santa Cruz County's li uh, liberal, you know, tendencies. You know, where we often think about, you know, of our county as a as a liberal county, but it's unbelievable the amount of conservatism that you know and racism uh, uh, that you know that there is. Um, I think this is all I wanted to share, and um, I, you know, I'll, you know, I hope you might have some questions. But before that, I want to say that, you know, I, um, I have a huge debt of gratitude to Alaya, who was, um, I want to say, she was so much more than a white ally uh, in this process. Um, I really appreciate the words of Alicia Garza from Black Lives Matter that she says, you know, um, uh, people of color, we don't need a white ally. We need an accomplice. Because mm -hmm. uh, uh, sometimes when you use the word ally, it it's almost like someone that stands on the, you know, on the side cheering you on, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'm, you know, I support you, you know. And Alicia Garza says, that's all good, but what we really need, you know, as in folks in any kind of social justice fight, whether it's, you know, whether it's racism or homophobia, whatever that might be, ableism, whatever that might be, we actually need, you know, white folks that, you know, that actually um, use their privilege, you know, to make a change. And um, Alaya, um, she, I felt all along the process, she examines white supremacy in every nook and cranny of these dialogues. And, uh, and she, she really used, you know, uh, her privilege to, you know, to make change uh, instead of standing on the sidelines. By the way, uh, Alaya has been a volunteer surf coach uh, for the local black surf club since its inception a few years ago. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, lots of gratitude also, you know, for this practice that has nurtured me every step of the way and for my teacher, Kathy Toady, for being present for me, you know, for so many years. Uh, thank you. And I think we have time for, you know, for a few questions, if folks have any questions, comments, thoughts. <laughs> the experience that you expressed of the compassionate heart opening, mm -hmm. the tension that you felt when you were in, you said it melted mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. That might be the word you used. And in that melting, do you think the, um, um, say, objectification softened for others? Yes, you know, yes, absolutely. I think um, that's exactly what I was trying to convey is that I don't think anybody can stay um, rigid when they see, you know, or, or, or they can't see someone else as, as an object once they start learning about them, you know, or start learning how it affected them. I just... 
I, I suppose there are, you know, folks that may be able to be completely immune to, you know, to what someone is, you know, to what someone else is saying. But I think in that context, given that folks were committed to, you know, to be there, um, yes, the 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 ob the otherization or the ob objective, ugh, sorry, objectification something like that, uh, you know, I think that that definitely started to, you know, to melt because you, you know, rather than a, a stereotype of the black man or a stereotype of the white, you know, angry or the, you know, angry white man or the angry black man or the angry black woman, all those stereotypes, I think people started to see, you know, an actual person that was suffering in front of them that had you know, a deep, you know, deep feelings in, in a history and a family and, in and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, it's, it's inevitable, uh, you know, to, you know, to, uh, to continue to see someone that's sitting in front of you and that's vulnerable, you know what I mean? I think that that was a big thing, you know what I mean? Everybody was vulnerable in front of, in front of each other. And I think, not necessarily willing, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of folks, you know, that have uh, been, that have suffered a lot of trauma, they will tend to, you know, um, rigid, you know, to, um, to make that protection, you know, even, you know, like a crab, you know, like a crab shell, you know, as, as, as rigid and, you know, to protect themselves from, you know, from more, from more harm and, but I don't think that that, you know, that that people couldn't do that because they, when they stepped into that, into that conversation, they made this commitment to be vulnerable, whether they thought it was going to happen or not. And I think that that was one of the things that I witnessed is that I don't think some people were surprised, you know what I mean? By how vulnerable they, they were and how vulnerable the young man was in front of them, you know, because I think everybody was, you know, was ready to see this, you know, this stereotypical, you know, um, you know, uh, person in front of them and that, that stereotype, I think, melted, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. My sense is that those lessons of that one three-hour meeting mm -hmm. will continue to ripple out through every person's life. Mm -hmm. And I thank you for a time that so clearly to the mouth. Beautiful. And I, I think one thing I wanted to add is that, you know, again, kind of going back to that trust the process, which is something that, you know, I think, you know, um, it's so important in our practice, which is sometimes I got the feeling that folks wanted some kind of uh, like epiphany to come, you know, like that that young man might have this epiphany and, and everything was going to be. And um it didn't happen in that way, you know what I mean? And we know that the likelihood is that maybe 20 years from now, you know, that young man will, you know, have an, an epiphany or an insight, you know? So this kind of, this kind of conversation is not, a, you know, uh, the stereotypical kumbaya thing where it starts, you know, this is not a movie, you know, it's real life. It doesn't start tense. And then in the end, everybody's hugging each other and, you know, and so on and so forth. It's not like that. Some people came out of that, you know, feeling, you know, really good. Some people felt, you know, still felt really heavy. And um, 
you know, so it's, it's, it, it is again a process and it is time, you know, and it takes time. I actually, I think one, one thing I forgot to share, I actually felt love for that young man to, at the very end of the, at the very end of the, of the dialogue, right before we left, I actually walked up, up to him and I said, you know, I love you. And I, I really, you know, wish the best for you. And I, I surprised myself because I, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect, you know, to feel that way, which again, was the interesting thing about facilitating a process like that is that it's almost like there were two tracks, you know what I mean? There was the track of me, you know, co-facilitating the meeting, you know, with Aliyah. And there was also my own kind of journey around, you know, around that process, you know, so the image that I get is almost like two bowls, you know what I mean? You have one bowl that's holding space for, you know, for the, for the conversation to happen and then had me holding space for myself and, and, and working through, you know, working through those, uh, working through those things. So, um, so yeah, it was, you know, it was such a, you know, it was such an intense process, uh, in, you know, in that way. So, See if there's any questions. Yes, Corinne has a question. Well, I wonder if you can remember some dialogue or some words when the armor started to fall away and the vulnerability was coming to the surface, like from the young man in question or from some of the other uh Sangha there. I will say use Sangha because I think it's appropriate in their intention, you know. Um. Thank you. Um, I don't know that there was, you know, specific words or even, you know, um, things that people said, but it was, it was more of, um, sometimes you could notice the body language of folks, you know, everybody's you know, sitting straight and, you know, sometimes not necessarily facing him directly or looking at him directly, but I could see the body change and people looking more at him. And, you know, um, so, and I think that the, what I, what I remember is something that I shared earlier, which was when, um, when folks come in, you know, when, when they invited him for, for Juneteenth, you know what I mean? It, that was like, okay, we can actually, you know, maybe we could share something, maybe we could do something together, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that the, you know, the moment where, when I could see the vulnerability was, you know, somewhere in, in those rounds of questions and, and things that people were saying and what they wanted to, what they wanted to say when they cried and so on and so forth. So um, it really was a progression, you know what I mean? It really was, a, you know, um, uh, uh, I don't know, almost like a, the one of the metaphors that I'm, so I, I'm a dancer, that's my my artistic practice. And so I can really think of, you know, if you think about this idea of almost of a spiral, you know, that you start, you know, kind of on the outside and you, and you start, you know, sort of circling in and kind of getting closer 
getting closer to the middle, you know? And so that was, I think that that was kind of the, the feeling of, you know, the progression of this, you know, and it's like the, this structure of the, of the conversation with the, with the, the rounds of questions and so on and so forth. It kind of felt in a way, almost like a, a beautiful spiral, not a spiraling like, oh my God, it's spiraling out of control, but it really spiraling towards kind of like a, a heart center, I guess, in a way I would, you know, I would say, you know, starting from everybody's like, I don't know what this is about. I don't trust you, you know, and, and to, you know, to, you know, loosening, you know, loosening, loosening the body, loosening the posture, crying, laughing, you know, there was just about the gamut of, of emotional expressions in that, you know, in that process. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the crying and I would think that would be a real opener for a lot of people to witness that. Mm -hmm. But so often, you know, uh, when a person is making an authentic response, when they've had, like, when they've dropped some of the armor and they've, they're responding verbally with that, that then, you know, does another spiral often, you know, it just opens the space for other people to think about being more vulnerable. And so that's why I was wanting to know if there was a particular dialogue that kind of uh, uh, changed the pace or the atmosphere of that dialogue, the feeling of the dialogue. Thank you. Thank you, Corinne. So it's time for us to stop now. <laughs> right. We can continue informally over tea. Mm -hmm. And I'll actually bring out the Zoom Zendo mm -hmm. so that <laughs> Zoom Zendo can participate in tea if you want as well and have some conversation like that. All right. We close with the four vows. Mm -hmm. And after the first one, I'll remove that and you uh, do a couple of minutes. All right. Delusions are inexhaustible. I am I to enter them. The God's way is unsurpassable. I Beings are limitless. I am to take them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I go to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I go to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I go to become it. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Illusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it.